Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Awesome. Good to see all of you guys. It's a long weekend. Anyone know that? Tomorrow's sleeping. I heard a very high voice. Tomorrow's sleeping. <laughs> All right, good fun. Tomorrow is sleeping. Tomorrow is Labor Day. And we didn't mean this to go in conjunction with it. I didn't even know it was going to be a long weekend until like a couple of weeks ago. But we are planning a brand new series today. It's called The Gospel Goes to Work. And you might have heard a little bit about it. And really the, the heart behind uh, this series is that we want to bridge the gap between people's faith and their reality. That's probably um, something that we see that I know causes so much frustration in our lives. You know, you come to a church service or uh, as we call it here, an experience, and, and you hear someone preach about how good God is and how He brings breakthrough, how you can trust Him, how He's so faithful, all these amazing things. And then you go back to your Mondays and everything is still the same. Or maybe you've heard someone promise that with God, you know, all things are possible. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And then you go back into that situation, that circumstance that is causing you uh, so much grief. And you find out that nothing has actually changed. And so there seems to be a bit of a gap, yeah, between sometimes what we read about in the Bible, what you hear uh, from, from a preacher. And sometimes you can take it as like, yeah, it's just another motivational speech and you go home. But what what we want to do is to find a way to bridge the gap between what our faith says and our everyday life. That's something that we're passionate about at Lift Church. And so uh, we're hoping that this next three weeks is going to be really helpful, really practical. And as a part of it, next week we have uh, a guy, his name is Amit Kaira. He is he has been TCC's, uh, Thorny Christian College's chaplain for the last nine and a half years. So a few people here from TCC know him very well. Uh, back then at TCC, he had a beard that probably reached to about there. Am I right? Am I right, Mitch? And a shaved head. Uh, but he's he's completely changed his look so that he can become a businessman now. <laughs> he yeah, Basically, he felt God calling him to do something very different. And he, uh, with a business partner, bought over Halo Espresso over in South Perth and converted it to become a social enterprise where 100% of the profits go to this organization uh, that they set up called Initiative. Uh, which is actually international. They have all of these projects overseas as well as in Perth. They actually got, I think, one or two projects in Vic Park as well, uh, where basically these projects are sustainable. Uh, they're not just looking for handouts, but these projects allow um, groups to eradicate poverty and to, to really make a difference in the community. And so that's why uh, we've got him to come because he changed his whole lifestyle. He changed everything that he was doing to follow the call of God and that's something that I know that for many of us sometimes we struggle that God's put something in our hearts we don't know how to chase that now Ahmed himself says that he's not uh, he's not an expert in this but he said that he's got a story that might be helpful and and his passion uh, after setting up uh, initiate
create and, and Halo as a social enterprise, uh, a Bible college over in Melbourne called, I think, Sterling uh, Theological Seminary actually got him and his business partner to come over to set up a brand new course, teaching people how to pursue their dreams in the workplace. Uh, that's, that's how cutting edge this guy is, and uh, they're bringing the course over to Perth next year. And I'm really excited to hear that because I don't know how many people in this room actually feel called to do stuff that I do, to stand in front of people, to preach the gospel in the way that I do. And, and some people feel disassociated uh, with the, the fact that God's called you to make a difference in your workplace. And we want to equip you. We want to help you along that journey. And so with that, we want to know your questions. So over in the foyer, uh, we've got this cork board up with a, a bunch of um, paper that you can write a question that you would like us to be covering during the interview next week. We're hoping uh, that we get to answer as many questions as possible to help you on your journey. I've seen some ripper questions. One of them was, um, how do you like your coffee? Um, so, but there's also others that are going to be extremely helpful. Uh, one of them asked, I, I just saw it briefly just now, does your wife need to be on the same vision as you? Let's find out. Let's talk to a guy who's been chasing the vision of God. Um, he's got four kids, by the way. So he's doing some amazing stuff. He's only mid-30s, I believe. So, so yeah, he's chasing the dream. And so really excited about that next week. Um, and so today, I get to set off what this whole series is going to be based around. And today, I particularly want to just cover one particular buzzword. And I found it really interesting that uh, during our prayer meeting, our prayer meeting is at 9.30 in the morning. We'd love you to uh, come and join us in prayer. Uh, but at 9.30, we prayed this morning, and um, I think it was Hannah that was praying that the church would be authentic, yeah. that our church would be authentic. And authentic is a real buzzword. I don't know. I love reading business journals and all of that. I'm a bit weird like that. Uh, but reading all of it, authenticity is such a buzzword in the business community, in leadership, and all of that. Partly because authenticity allows you to have a higher level of um, trustworthiness. You get people to buy into you when you're authentic. People hate it when you are fake. People hate it when they feel like you've got some kind of agenda. But people love it when they feel that what you're communicating comes straight from the heart. And so I think it's really important that us as Christians learn how to be authentic, especially since there was a survey done in America just, I think, maybe about five years ago, and it found that the thing that people associated with Christianity the most is the word hypocrisy. They think that Christians are hypocritical. We would say one thing, but we would act in a different way. And in that way, that's the whole gap that I was talking about when it comes to the gospel in our lives. There is this gap between what we believe, what we say is the truth, and what we are living out in our lives. And we need to learn how to be authentic. And I think most of us in this room would love to be seen as an authentic person. Anyone here loves to be known as fake? I didn't think so. Pretty good. We're in a good place. Right now, you're around people who desire to be authentic. I think so. So far, maybe you're just shy. Maybe you like being fake, and that's cool. Not really, but anyway, it's not cool. But one thing about authenticity that I've been learning about, that I've been studying over the last week and a bit in preparing for this message, is actually really counterintuitive. 
You see, when we think about authenticity, we often associate it at some level with the word spontaneity. But spontaneity is actually authenticity. I know I'm throwing all these big words out and tripping myself up. But spontaneity is authenticity's biggest enemy. It actually is the biggest enemy. An author that I was reading put it this way, authenticity does not come naturally. It does not come naturally. Really interesting, isn't it? Because it's completely counterintuitive. Uh, this author writes about how authenticity is something that needs to be practiced in our lives. It's something that has to be practiced in our lives. And in particular, this person was talking about um, uh, speakers on, on, have you heard of TED before? Uh, going worldwide, uh, viral videos about people talking about uh, their passions, their beliefs, what they're living out. And these people, some of them spend years on preparing this one 18-minute message. Years. And all of these speakers that uh, went viral with millions of people tuning into their videos uh, spend countless hours practicing so that they can come across as authentic and they can come across as real. And maybe I need to unpack this a little bit and I thought of this great analogy. And most of you in this room would probably be able to associate yourself somehow, maybe because you've experienced it or because you've heard about the dangers of this one question that has ruined many men's sleep. Do you want to hear the question? Yeah. Have I set it up well? Yeah. Yes. The question is... Do I look fat in this? <laughs> it is a crazy question. Look, uh, to be honest, Beck uh, is great to me. She hasn't popped that question on me. And I'm still sleeping on my bed most nights, all nights, actually. Uh, but it is a dangerous question. Why is it a dangerous question? It's because the woman is actually looking for a spontaneous response from her husband. Am I right? No woman would go to her husband and says, Hey, honey, I'm going to go get ready. I'll be about 15 minutes, and then I'm going to put on that dress. And when I put on that dress and I'm ready, I will come to you and I will ask you, Do I look fat in this? No woman has ever done any man such a favor before. Am I right? Any husband here have been given a heads up on the fact that they're going to be asked the most dangerous question known to mankind. No man has ever had the privilege of doing so. Why? Because the woman is actually wanting to find an authentic response from a husband. Am I right? Yeah. That's what you're thinking. But if I dive into this a little bit more with you this morning, maybe what you're getting is not actually an authentic response. I studied psychology for three years, and one of the things that we talked about was the automatic natural responses of a person. To give a quick answer, a quick response, a quick reaction to anything, it, uh, what happens in your mind is that it goes through an emotional filter inside your brain, and then therefore from there, it accesses the things that are at the tip of your consciousness and draws that out to be your response. Make sense so far? Basically, a quick response is an emotional response. 
A quick response does not dive any deeper and does not process at a deeper level what your beliefs, what your convictions are. So when a wife comes to her husband and says, do I look fat in this? And, and immediately she's looking at how he responds and, and there's a pause. Oh my gosh, what is going on there? You know what's going on? Because a man's emotional state at that moment is one of shock. You know what's an emotional response? Any words that come to mind? Zero. His mind is blank, not because you look fat or you don't look fat. It's because he is in a state of emotional shock that the question has been popped. And then he quickly realizes and goes into a state of panic that she is still waiting for a response. And he therefore realizes he's got a 50-50 shot and making a response, yes or no. At that point, he's already in trouble and he's got no way of saving himself. Is this supposed to be the authentic response that a wife is truly looking for? Or is this simply an emotional response that comes from a place where a man is just simply, I don't know, set up for failure? So men, you can thank me later that I've been bringing this to the light. If you get to sleep in your bed tonight, it's because I've been so good to you. <laughs> but now I'm going to turn on you for a second, just so that I can make my analogy right. You see, what happens is that there's no real right answer to that question in that moment. Am I right? <laughs> at some point, even if you manage to say, honey, you look stunning as usual, at some point, that answer is going to get you in trouble because it's become practice. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can hear the laughter in the room. It's true. It's funny because it's completely true. If you're not married yet, you can thank me. You can pay me later. I take credit. No, I don't actually take any money. Um, <laughs> but the problem is that the question is not actually to do with the appearance in the moment. Any woman can tell you that. When they ask, do I look fat in this, they're not actually normally looking for an indication of their appearance in the moment. Really what they're asking for is a validation of their worth to you as a husband. They are actually wanting you to say, you are still extremely attractive to me. That's what a wife is asking when she asks that question. And there is no right answer in the moment. None whatsoever. You can say something and you can live through that moment, but you will not get it right. But the right answer actually needs to be given a week before the question is asked, maybe months before the question is asked. It needs to be responded to when a woman is feeling in her worst possible moment after she's been looking after your four kids and looks like a bomb absolutely hit her. She's feeling at her most worthless and you see that and in that moment you say, honey, you look stunning. Yeah. Am I right? Any woman wants a husband to do that for you. Any woman... <laughs> Well, that's um, somewhat surprising. <laughs> but does that make sense? That this actually, this question is not actually looking for a spontaneous response. This question is asking for a man to dig deep and to find an authentic response that at the right moment, at a practiced moment, at a moment where he is made aware, he's able to give an answer that speaks into her heart. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. And an practiced response to this question over time is not just going to make a woman feel terrible, but over time she's going to get into a place where she feels like her husband no longer values her and is leading to a slippery path in their marriage. 
We're doing a relationship series in April. You can come back for that. Be ready. We're going to have some hard-hitting facts. I've been married for three years and I've got all the experience in the world. <laughs> Completely joking, but no, God's actually blessed Beck and myself with being able to understand relationships and we're really excited for that. But I wanted to use this analogy to help you a little bit to understand that authenticity doesn't come from spontaneity. What comes from spontaneity is an emotional response that probably doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. See, most men want to make sure that their wife knows that they're valued. We just don't know how. You know how? You learn and you practice and you put a lifestyle in action that actually works. But in the same way, many of us are expecting that our values and our beliefs in our lives is just going to come through in every single moment of every single day. We just expect that if I hold that as a value, it's just going to be lived out in, through my life in my everyday. But the truth of the matter is that that doesn't happen. Most life coaches and business coaches, when they first come to you, one of the first few sessions, I guarantee it, is that they're going to ask you to write down and to articulate what your values and your beliefs are. Why do they do that exercise with you? Because you have never thought of doing that for yourself. We've been so bored, I've read in this culture where we just think that our beliefs and our values will influence all that we are, but quite often we've pushed it so deep down that we don't even know how to live it out anymore. And so life coaches and business coaches come to you and they say, dig deep, find out what is it that you really want to build your life around, find out what is it that you're, you want to build your business around, the fact that they need to ask this question means that for us, having our values and our convictions and our beliefs at the tip of our tongue is actually a myth. If I ask you right now to list the five most important beliefs in your life on paper, I'm wondering how many people will go, I can't even list one. I'm just so overwhelmed right now because I've never thought about it that way. So what we need to do in living authentic lives is that we need to learn how to put in practice the things that really matter to us. We've got to stop going through life winging it. And Christians, if I can talk to you for a moment, some of you have been giving responses on Facebook, on social media, that comes from your emotions that is totally gone against your beliefs and convictions. You have not thought it through, and you have just given an emotional reaction. Someone said something, I got ticked off, so I replied. That's what social media does. Most people are living fake lives on social media because there's no need to filter what is going on. And many of us, even outside in real life, we've learned just to give emotional responses and throw out whatever's at the tip of our tongue. But what your real values and convictions are might be a lot deeper than that. And so this morning, I want to dig deep with us. And, uh, and I, I think I've got... I think I've got a bit of an answer. I think I'm pretty smart about this. And I'm really excited over the next 15 minutes to unpack this. Are you excited? Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. We've gone on a cool journey. All right. Apostle Paul. He is one of the greatest leaders, I believe, in the whole of history. Theologians would say that without this man, Christianity would be gone. Basically, without the efforts of the Apostle Paul, Christianity would have centered around Jerusalem, and by about a hundred years after Jesus' death, there will be zero Christians left on the face of the earth. This one man 
has made sure his efforts means that we still have Christians across the face of the planet and we are still growing. This man is an exceptional leader and a part of what he did was to have disciples that he trained up to be able to be effective leaders. Anyone here want to be an effective leader? Fantastic. Five people. Cool. We can do something with that. God can, if God can use one effective leader and continue Christianity, we can use those five people in this room. Don't worry, everyone else, you can join in anytime you want. But let me just tell you, you will not feel fulfilled if you're not an effective leader. But he had disciples, and at one, uh, one of his disciples was called Timothy. And just before he died, he wrote this letter to Timothy. So you know it's an important letter. You know that this is a letter that is Paul trying to set up for this young man. This is the way that you should be going to, in order to continue the work that I have placed in your hands, that God has placed in your hands. And we can read it in 2 Timothy, Timothy 1 verse 13 to 14. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit and trust it to you. You see, Paul already tells Timothy that there is a pattern of sound words that he was supposed to guard as a good deposit. See, what happens in our lives is that there are patterns that we follow whether we know it or not. If you are not aware of the patterns that you are following, you are simply living by default. You're just going through the motions. But if you realize that are patterns in your life and you become deliberate about it, then you are going to be living your life effectively. Make sense? And it goes to also show that if there are patterns of sound words that we can live by, then there are also patterns of destructive words that we can live by. And, and if we are living by the wrong patterns, then we are not really living out what God has placed inside of us, and that's where the disconnect is. When we are living by the wrong patterns, as we have been talking about, authenticity, the realness of real power in your life comes when you are practiced, when you are following a pattern that you know leads to a good end. Am I right? And if you can see this pattern, then you are able to make it work for you. Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14, and he says this, uh, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work. Which is at work in you believers. How do we know it's at work? For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. He was saying that I know that the gospel is not lying dormant in your life. Which leads me to a conclusion that there can be a moment where the gospel is lying dormant in my life. I can have received a gospel that I've just put into my heart but is not doing anything. 
You can have heard about how God is faithful, how God is just, how God is powerful, how God is a miracle-working God, but you can still be detached from the actual power. Why? Because the gospel is lying dormant in your life. So how do you put it to work? This is how Paul said it, to become imitators. How do you become an imitator? When you see a pattern worth following, when you see a pattern that is occurring somewhere else where you know that the work of God is is moving and you go, I'm going to follow that pattern. I'm going to do something. I'm going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to change the way that I think. I'm going to change the way that I speak. I'm going to change the way that I act in order that I can become an imitator and in order that the gospel be put in my life. Paul talks so often that we might not know who to follow, but we can follow Christ. We have been given a Bible. We've been given something that shows us a pattern that Jesus lived by. And the Bible says to become imitators of Christ. Why do we need to become imitators of Christ? Because that makes the gospel work. How many of us want the gospel to be put to work in our lives? Turn to the person next to you and says, put the gospel to work. That was just to give me a breather. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for participating. So, how do we put the gospel to work? This is where we get really, really practical. There are two main steps that I want to walk us through this morning. And we can find these steps in Romans 12 verse 2. And it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want what is good. I want what is acceptable. I want what is perfect for my life. I want those things. And that is what God has for me. Understand that God's purposes for you is not to tear you down and have a laugh at you. God wants something that is good. God wants something that's acceptable. God wants what is perfect for you. That is His plan. Alright? Let's get that straight. God is not out to get you. God wants to give to you. God has got something so good for you. But how we get there is two steps. Number one, do not be conformed to this world. You know if I tell you don't be a fish... Is that a waste of time? Are you guys like just, maybe you are fish. (laughs) If I tell you don't be a fish, are any one of you guys saying, oh, that's good advice, Nate. It's a waste of time. Why? Because you can't be a fish. And if Paul wrote, do not be conformed to this world, it means that we can be conformed to this world. And the word conform means that we've so shaped our lives around the world. We've actually become like the world. Yeah? And so when he's saying, do not be conformed, is actually not something that's easy. You know, when I used to hear this verse, I used to kind of just think of me as, oh, I, I get this uh, temptation, this thought that comes into my mind, and I just kind of like go into a fetal position. I grab my head and I said, do not conform, do not conform, do not conform, renew, renew. And I'm just expecting God to just pop this verse in my head, and then the whole clouds would just disappear, and I can see the glory of God again. But that's not how it happens. The first step in us learning how to live a pattern of sound words is that we need to understand the pattern of destructive words that are in our lives, that we pattern our lives over. And let me tell you, it's not as easy as just saying, yep, that's it. It's not. 
Paul said it's going to be a struggle. And so I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a struggle. You're going to have to learn to recognize, which is the first step, learn to recognize. How do we learn to recognize? God's been putting this analogy in my mind over the last month. I'm still building it. I'm still working it out. But, you know, when we first come in contact with God, with Jesus, and we accept Jesus into our lives, what happens is that we get a deposit of the Holy Spirit. You can read about this in the Bible. And the deposit of the Holy Spirit is there to guide and to teach us. And quite often how the Holy Spirit guides and teaches us is through our conscience. He starts to highlight stuff. He starts to show us stuff in our lives, areas that we're not supposed to be going to. And so that reminds me a little bit like Minesweeper. Anyone here old enough to know Minesweeper? Best game ever. Best game ever. And I know Minesweeper where, you know, you either left click the right click and and you're basically supposed to clear this grid and find all the mines that you're not supposed to touch and if you touch a mine you basically lose and you start again which if you kind of get to the last few boxes you kind of just want to throw your computer away um, but it's kind of like minesweeper in the sense that the flags that you put on minesweeper are not permanent you can take them off you can mark a square that you think is a mine by right-clicking on it and this little red flag comes up. But if you change your mind about it, you can take the flag off. And in the same way with the Holy Spirit guiding and teaching us, when He gives you a flag, you can take it off. When He says that's not a good place for you to be in, you can go, okay, note it, take it down. And you can walk right onto that square that the Holy Spirit was trying to tell you not to go to. Many people that are asked when they've done something disastrous in their lives, like, what happened? Where was the Holy Spirit in that? And I was like, I don't know, I don't think the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And I'm like, so the Holy Spirit hates you. Holy Spirit wants to get you in trouble. Holy Spirit is like, hey, hey, yeah, oh yeah, you can go have your fun right now, go destroy your life because that's what God wants. No, Holy Spirit loves you. He wants to guide you in what is good and pleasing and perfect for your life. And so, by definition, I believe that the Holy Spirit is talking to many of us, but we're actually taking the flags down. And what we need to do to find out and to see these patterns in our life that are destructive is actually to slow down, not speed up. Some of us are trying to speed through life and just trying to give the first answer because I'm trying to be authentic. You're being stupid. You're going down a path of destruction. You need to slow down and you need to start asking yourself, did, how do I feel about that? How did, was my conscience speaking to me? Was the Holy Spirit speaking to me? How it feels like it's just that little twinge, like, oh, I'm 99% sure that I want to do that, but there's that 1% that is kind of stopping me. Maybe if that's you, just stop and think and process for a moment. You don't have to follow your emotions. That is groundbreaking for some people in this room. You don't have to be your emotions. As a kid, some kids, they think that emotions, I'm a frog, I'm a dog, they are not their emotions, they are still a kid. But when we grow up, we start to think that whatever my emotions say about me, that's who I am. That's not who you are. That's just being emotional. But who you are is something a bit deeper. It's something that you actually have to sometimes slow down and work out, who do I want to be? Remembering the whole confirmation to the, conforming to the world. 
We sometimes need to slow down. Why? Because the patterns of the world are so ingrained in our lives that we don't even know that we're doing those things. And that's why I believe that it's important for us, if we want to put the gospel to work in our lives, that we need to sometimes slow down and think about the things that, that, that are just causing us a little bit of discomfort. And what happens when you start to recognize that there's a pattern of destructive words in action in your life? Here comes the next bit. Renew your mind. How do we renew our mind? I heard this a little while ago, and it makes so much sense, made it so clear that I want to share it with you today. This helped me so much to understand how to put God's words into action in my life. Prioritize the Word of God. Prioritize. Why do I say prioritize? It's because many of us go through this um, pattern that we are used to, and we've actually started to get so used to it that we can defend it. That we actually can say, I'm trying to do good here. But what we don't understand, or, or, or I'm, I'm living out what is a reality. I'm living out what is normal. I'm living out what is acceptable. But it might not be acceptable to God. And what we need to learn to do is to prioritize the, work of, the Word of God over anything else. I'm going to give you an analogy, and I hope that it makes sense. It might... Um, I thought about this yesterday. I was like, God, I really need an analogy, and this came to mind. And, and, and he, he spoke to me. Have you seen, like, um, people on X Factor or Australian Idol and all of that? And the first audition, some of them go in, and they look like they're completely, like, D in the headlights. Like they're, they're just gone. They're, they're just like... That's why so many people love the voice, because they don't have to act, they don't have to do anything, they just have to sing, and they know that they can sing, and therefore they love it. Well, it's quite often the same in church bands, and I've been a part of church bands for a long time, and the number of people that have come in, and the first, um, probably, what, three years, they look like they, their feet are glued to the ground, and, and, uh, and, and their armpits are, are kind of glued shut, and their elbows are, are non-functioning, and, and they kind of, like, stand here and look a little bit like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Recognize anyone that looked like that? Not today. Today we were great. We had a, we were blessed with a great we were blessed with a great team. That's why Mitch has a guitar by the way. Just letting you know without a guitar he's gonna be extremely exposed. <laughs> yeah I'm the same. I, you take the guitar away I'm just like <laughs> but what happens when I have conversations with a lot of these people is that it's that they, they just don't feel confident and they just don't feel like they're able to bust out of, of this discomfort, yeah? And so what I used to hear many times in the past is that people would suggest, fake it till you make it. You heard that phrase before? I've told so many people, and uh, uh, I probably have to pay for damages for their life right now, but I told them, fake it till you make it. You'll make it at some point. It, it'll all get better. But what I learned is that that's actually the false way of helping a person out. What happens if a person is all self-conscious on a band is to tell them that aren't you convinced that 
worshiping God is one of the greatest things that you have been given. Aren't you glad that the Bible has given you a confidence to enter into God's presence? Aren't you convinced that the Bible tells us to enter His uh, uh, gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and enter His courts of praise? Aren't you, aren't you aware of the fact that the Bible time and time again tells us how important it is to worship God and to come into His presence? Now, don't you want it for someone else? What we are actually telling them is to live out a new conviction. We're telling them, don't live out the conviction that you're not good enough, that you're not experienced enough, that you're not active enough, that you're not whatever enough. And then we tell them that you need to look like those Hillsong singers that look like they've been given dance lessons for the last 10 years. And then we tell them, if you imitate them, it will all become natural to you. And the fact of the matter is nothing becomes natural and they just look like they are just robots trying to do some weird little actions. And it doesn't work. But if I tell them, you be yourself, the best you, the best representation of a worshiper in your life, that is what's going to come across as authentic. That's what's going to come across as real. That's what's going to be contagious to the rest of the people in the room. And that's why in our lives, sometimes there are things that are bombarding us and telling us that's just the way it is. And I'm not telling you to fake it as a Christian. I'm telling you that there's a greater work that is available to you that's found in the Word of God. The number of people that I hear that say they are not this or not that, when clearly in the Bible it says that you are. I'm like, how do I tell them that this is available to them? I can't tell them to fake it as a Christian. I can't tell you to be more confident. I can't tell you to get rid of your worries because it's you. It's internal. I can't fix you, but I can point you to a new pattern of words that is available for you in your everyday life. That's why we started Project 73, a Bible reading plan that finishes, that goes through the whole Bible in 73 weeks. Why? Because I want you to know the pattern of sound words that you can live by. And then when you put them and you prioritize them in your life, it's not just reading it. It doesn't happen by osmosis. I read the Bible through about six times before I felt like I really truly knew God. Did reading the Bible any of those times make me any holier? No. But when I started to get the Word of God and I started to activate it by prioritizing it, that's when the change started to happen. And that's available for each and every person. There is a gap in all of our lives, mine included. There is a gap between what I want to believe, what has been told to me in the Word of God, and my reality. There is a gap in where you are at right now and where you believe God wants you to be. And that gap is not going to be bridged by you simply reading the Word of God or, or attending a church or, 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 or trying to do more good works. That gap is going to be bridged when you start to prioritize and put the Word of God in action in your life. I hope that makes sense because to me that made so much sense. I've got a motive in preaching this message this morning. And the motive is this, that we're heading into Easter season, which is one of the most important seasons in a local church's life. Because that's when people seem to think, okay, maybe I should find out a little bit more about what's going on. And what we need is an army of people that are willing to take the gospel, put it at work in their lives, and let it shine through. But there's so many Christians that are not living out lives that are attractive. There's so many Christians that are as depressed as the person next to them. 
There's so many Christians that are so down and out, so lacking in confidence. And there are so few Christians that are actually doing anything to be a witness to other people. And the truth is, I'm, I'm in that spot. I don't like going to people and just saying, hey, you need Jesus. I know what it's like. People don't like that. But what the Word of God says, and you can read it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy once again in that same letter, one of the patterns that he needs to live is that he needs to do the work of an evangelist. That's one of the patterns I'm hoping to put into place in my life and I'm hoping that by speaking it out there are some people in this room that is understanding I don't need to necessarily be the best evangelist. I don't need to hold a rally and invite three million people to come and see one million of them saved. But I can do the work of an evangelist. I need to prioritize God's word above my insecurities. I need to prioritize God's word above the things that I don't like. I need to prioritize God's word over what I'm not comfortable with. And if I'm starting to prioritize God's word over that area of my life, I'm going to believe that it's going to go to work. I believe that there's going to be a change in me. I believe that there's going to be a, 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 a transformation for myself. And I'm praying that in the same way as I put it to work in my life, that it's going to bring about a fruitfulness, that I'm going to see people come to Christ because I'm prioritizing the Word of God. And I'm hoping that this message makes sense to you because some of you have got influence circles that are waiting for you to bring the gospel into that circle. Some of you are waiting for yourself to be perfect before you're allowing God to use you. But some of you need to realize that, this, that as God works in you, He will work through you. As, as you go through your process of transformation, God's going to use you to bring the gospel wherever you go. You don't need to be perfect. In fact, if you're perfect, it's, it's scary for other people. No one wants to, to go to a church where everyone's perfect. But the truth is, no person's perfect. And, and so we just become a whole bunch of fakies. And so it, it sucks. And so I want people who are real. I want people who know that there's stuff, there's gear that's gone wrong in our lives, but we are still trying to live out and prioritize the Word of God in our lives and be effective in our influence circles. That's the passion and that's the heart behind this particular message. The gospel goes to work in my life. That is such an important thing. But the gospel also needs to go to work in your influence circles. There are people waiting to hear a message of change. There are people waiting for a message of hope that are just waiting for someone who knows that there is a truth out there that you can latch your whole life on. And I'm hoping that that person is you. I'm hoping that that person is each and every single one of us, that we can learn that God wants me to do something. So next week we're going to talk about following your passions and, and dreams and setting things up and all that kind of stuff, which is really important. But if we boil it down, let's not forget that one of the key things in the Bible is to do the work of an evangelist. No one here needs to necessarily be the best evangelist to be doing the work of. Notice that Paul didn't say, become an evangelist. But Paul wrote, do the work of an evangelist. It's a pattern that all of us need to live out. All of us. 
So as we head into Easter, I pray that you're going to start thinking of people that need you to do the work of evangelist. The people in your life that God has placed in your life so that you can do the work of an evangelist. So as we get the band up this morning, that was a bit of a... I guess an editorial at the end of my message. And I really hope that for each and every one of you, not just in this whole area of evangelism, but I hope that even while I was speaking, God was highlighting to some of you what are faulty patterns of thinking that you have been aligning your life with. The thing is, I, I spoke a message similar to this a few years ago at Centerpoint, and um, on Friday we got around some pastors, had a bit of a lunch, and someone told me that this lady had heard my message and was bagging me out. Never really good when you're a speaker and you hear that someone doesn't like what you're saying, but she was basically saying, because I spoke a message about setting your mind on the things of God, and she was a lady that unfortunately was struggling with depression, and she was saying that pastor was just trying to make it sound like it's so easy as if I didn't want to get out of my depression as, as though he was just saying to get over it this is not what I'm saying I'm not telling you to get over your hang-ups I'm not telling you to get over the difficult areas of your life I'm talking about practicing a new pattern of living and you need to start that practice today to get any benefit from it you need to start somewhere. And I'm not saying it's easy. If you are struggling with depression in this room, I hope that you're not offended by what I'm saying, but I hope that you're encouraged that each and every single one of us are on a journey. And as we are on a journey of transformation, of being renewed, and that process doesn't start until you engage the gospel in your life, until you start to recognize that there are faulty patterns that are holding you back, and until you realize that there is a way to prioritize the Word of God in your life. Some of you have been living insecure, broken lives, thinking that you're not worthy, thinking that no one loves you, thinking that you have to prove yourself. I was one of those people. I wasn't given the depression. I got a very strong ego. This is who God made me to be. But I struggled with the thought that I would not be anyone significant until I learn how to prove myself. And I had to bust out of that circle. How? It sounds like self-motivation, but I learned how to find words in the, in, the, in the Word of God that says that I'm valuable, that said that I am someone of worth. I learned how to take the Word of God that says that God has a plan and a purpose for me, a plan to prosper me, a plan to make me significant. I learned how to hold on to the gospel that says that the gifts and the calling of God is, is irrevocable, that God has placed it in my life and He's not going to take it away. I learned how to take the Word of God that says that God loved me so much that he went to the cross to die for my sin and if I don't know how to take that truth and put it into my life it is just something that I'm hearing and I'm putting down but no I want the gospel to go to work in my life I want the gospel to be active in my life I want the gospel to be something that I'm building my life around I'm not building uh, uh, the gospel around my life and make it fit into me no 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 I want to build my life around the gospel because when I do that I will be able to see what God has got for me what is good and pleasing what is perfect what is acceptable and I know each and every one of us want to bridge that gap thank you for tuning in today 
If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.